This week on The Perfect Scam. I was totally convinced at that point that it was a scam, but I didn't want to embarrass my mom in front of like the broader family. I kicked myself because at the time I'm like, you know, my partner, he was like, this sounds like a scam. This doesn't sound legit. And I even like defended my mom at that point because I didn't want her to feel embarrassed. Welcome back to The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Bob Sullivan. Major life changes create a big opening for criminals. And losing a life partner is perhaps the most dramatic life change of all. Today's guest, Janet, had been married for more than 50 years when her husband suddenly passed away. Could you just tell me something about your husband? Well, uh, my husband and I, I'll try to condense 52 years of marriage down. My husband and I met when I was uh, in my second year of nursing school and he was finishing his bachelor's degree in psychology and we got married at ages 21 and 24 while he was in graduate school. We have one daughter. My husband was a social worker, an athletic guy who liked to play basketball and softball, coached our daughter, coached our friend's kids involved in the community, highly likable, just an all-around good guy. Kara is the kind of daughter you want your little girl to grow up to be. She loves and admires her parents very much. My parents are great people. My father was a government employee, and my mom was in the medical field, and uh, just really enjoyed life, and um, they were retired um, and had really taken advantage of retirement to travel and see friends and, you know, just sort of uh, live life to the fullest. But that special time for this couple, living a full life in retirement, was cut off way too soon. He had had some health issues throughout his adulthood, but they were very well managed. And then early in 2020, had a series of medical procedures and contracted an infection during the course of one of those. Unfortunately, the infection progressed and he just wasn't able to bounced back, and he passed away um, just this past October, just a few months ago. He was just in his mid-70s. Everyone in the family was in shock. Janet said her husband had needed a lot of care in those last four or five weeks, so she was physically and emotionally exhausted at the end. That's perfectly normal. In the days following a death of a loved one, people are usually in a fog, just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And there's arrangements to be made, Lots of arrangements, lots of details, lots of paperwork. Those closest to the deceased often just show up when they're told to and sign whatever they're told to sign. So it didn't seem out of the ordinary when a call came in from her husband's former workplace. It was a Thursday, late in the afternoon, about 4 p.m. They identified themselves as coming from the state uh, retirement and benefits office. And I remember even saying, wow, I was about to call you because my husband has passed away and I needed to know the procedure to get his benefits. I want to emphasize, this was five days after my husband's funeral. <laughs> the only thing I can say is I was not in my right mind. The caller says there's some paperwork to fill out. But they said they were from the state benefits and retirement office and they realized that my husband had passed away and uh, how could they help me? They can go through the benefits, but the one thing they want to tell me about is, and this is very important, is that your husband had a $50,000 life insurance policy that's payable to you. 
and I did say, gee, I thought all of that was taken care of when he retired. No, this one was still outstanding. And we have talked to Metropolitan Life. And if you pay the premiums have not been paid for the last two years. But if you pay those premiums, then you will be entitled to the entire $50,000. Well, how much would that be? And that was off the top of my head, about four or $5,000. And I would need to have it in that night. That night? Janet was still figuring out all the forms and other papers that needed to be taken care of. And while this instruction is confusing, she keeps listening to the caller and tries to figure out how she could pay them immediately like that. And I was truly so befuddled. And I was actually near Columbia Mall. And I pulled over and I said, I honestly don't know how to do this. And they said, well, you can buy. They were called reloaded cards. I have since seen them all over the place. But at that point, they told me I could only get them at Safeway or Office Depot. And I needed to have those drawn up, et cetera. And I said, I, I went over to the Bank of America at the mall. They were closing. And I could not get more than $500 out of the bank at the time in the ATM. So I honestly, I was really close to distraught. And they were very persistent and kept saying, well, you have to do this. And I kept saying, but I can be at the bank when it opens and I'll get you a cashier's check. I have money. No, we have to have this sent tonight. As the call progresses, darkness and rain start to set in. And Janet's options for getting the money to the insurance company are shrinking by the minute. That's when the caller comes up with a bold suggestion. Well, you could do that by going to a casino. <laughs> I said, are you serious? She said, oh, yes, because they can advance you the cash on your credit card. So she drives to a nearby casino, walks in, pulls out a high-limit credit card, and tries to make the withdrawal. No dice. The transaction just won't go through. She tries a second card. That withdrawal is rejected also. I then went back out to my car and said, I can't get the money. Well, you're going to have to get the money. Have you tried your debit card? And I said, nope. <laughs> went back into the casino and against my debit card, they gave me, I think it was almost $5,000 in cash because they told me that the when I get the reloaded cards, they have to be in increments of $500. Now Janet has the cash, but she can't send that to the caller. So she's instructed to drive somewhere else and buy gift cards that she can drop in the mail. I then took this cash, scared to death that people could see I was carrying all this money, and found an office depot. And the manager had to draw these up because nobody knew what I was talking about. And he drew up, I think I had seven of them something like seven or eight of them. And I took those. So there's another call and another back and forth. And Janet now has to figure out how to get those gift cards where they need to go. The woman at the state employment office said, well, I'm just going to stay late and help you do this. And the so-called gentleman from Metropolitan Life said, we have to put these in the mail and get a eight by 10 envelope. I will get you the address and everything. The caller stays on the line with her now, steering her every move. Even with the cash cards in hand, Janet now has another problem. She's lost her reading glasses. 
fortunately or unfortunately, since I was at an office depot, I bought large envelopes, bought stamps, and in the meantime, lost my eyeglasses. Oh, and there was a dollar store there. I mean, it gets to be kind of oh. funny. <laughs> so I go into the dollar store, buy a cheap pair of glasses, come out, park underneath a parking lamp so that I could write this address out. The next instruction is to race to the post office before closing time. By now, the rain is pouring down, and she's not sure she'll get there in time. It was a harrowing white-knuckle drive to beat the clock. I said, is there a pickup? Yes. And said, I've talked to uh, the post office, and they do have a late pickup. It's about 9 o'clock tonight. Okay. I then drive over there, and I'm telling you, when I say dark and rainy night, it was. It was miserable. I pull up to the front of the post office. As you're telling me the story, I'm picturing you, God, you know, driving in the pouring rain to a casino with broken glasses, desperately trying to get to a post office. I mean, that just sounds like such a horrible scene from a bad movie. It was awful. I was actually, I could feel my heart racing. I was just like, how am I going to get this done? And I'm thinking, now I'm thinking, Janet, this was so stupid. But then you think things like, well, maybe Jim just forgot about a policy because he had a life insurance policy through the state. And in my mind, I thought that he had canceled that once he had retired and didn't pay anymore. I don't know. She makes it safely to the post office, but it looks like it's too late. The post office is dark, and it doesn't seem like anyone is going to be picking up the mail tonight. I pull up to the front of the post office. There are two mailboxes, and I look at them. Neither one has a late pickup so I'm on my cell phone, and they had stayed on my cell phone. I don't understand what the problem is, but there's nothing listed for a late pickup. Oh, no, we talked to them. I will connect you with the post office. This should have rang so many bells, but it, it wasn't. It sounded crazy, but and a woman came on, and she said, yes, uh, we're going to have a late pickup. It'll be almost 9 o'clock, and you can put your, and I said, there's two mailboxes. Put it in the one to the right. Okay, put that in. And I thought this was over. Everything was mailed, etc. Five hours later, she's finally done. The first call about this insurance policy had come at 4 p.m. Now it's well after 9 p.m. and she's exhausted and ready for bed. Hoping she's checked another box, put another dreaded task behind her. But she hasn't. The next day, another call comes about a second insurance policy, a policy on Kara, her daughter. A different woman, but identifying herself as from the same department, state benefits and retirement. And she tells me about, she was glad that I mailed everything, but they were looking further and they see that there's a $20,000 life insurance policy on my daughter, who is an adult. And again, same thing slightly less amount of money and this could be taken care of this morning i know it's friday but we can get this done and i said all right i knew the routine and they said you can go to a safeway when i went to safeway i could only get i think it was 2000 or 2500 from that store and then they said what will this be used for and i said personal reasons okay I had to go to two different Safeways because there was a maximum that I hit, did that. And again, the person said, well, you've got to mail them to this place. I said, well, that's different than last night. I know, but this policy on your daughter goes here. And it was the same gentleman from Metropolitan Life. 
supposedly. But this time, Janet has an easier time getting the gift cards into the mail and sent off to the address the woman on the phone tells her. But while she's on the phone, this second operator sympathizes with the difficult time Janet had the night before. And they told me to put it in the mail. I did. And, oh, I the woman said something about the person who called me the night before. I said, well, she wasn't helpful, and she was so insistent on me hurrying up and doing this. And she said, and she didn't tell you about the policy for your daughter? And I said, no, and she was very belligerent for me. Well, we'll have to investigate that because she should have told you. She called me later to check on if I had mailed everything. And I said I had, and she said, well, I listened to her, the tape of the call, because as you know, we record everything here at the state. Sounds reasonable to me. And I listened and she did not give you truthful information. She should have told you about the other policy. This is such a good cop, bad cop routine. They had it down very well. <laughs> Janet is exhausted. It's Friday afternoon now, and she talks with her daughter, Kara, and fills her in on all the details. The $50,000 insurance policy for her, the other $20,000 insurance policy for Kara. They make plans for dinner and a visit later that night. As Kara listens, something doesn't sit right with her. But there's so much going on didn't really think anything of it. I mean, he had just passed away. You know, I mean, my mom was filling out paperwork and things like that. Um, And when I talked to her later that Friday, she started to fill me in. And she even said to me that she wasn't aware that my dad had this other insurance policy, um, that he usually kept very, very good records of everything. But she thought maybe it just slipped his mind. And, you know, he'd been retired for a number of years. And maybe this was something he had signed up for back when he was still working in government. And, Maybe this just slipped his mind. And so we talked later that Friday evening, and she kind of told me everything that had happened up to that point. And as she's telling me the story, my heart just starts to sink. Kara starts to worry there might not really be an insurance policy, but she decides to bite her tongue for the time being. And, you know, I was trying to be supportive of my mom. You know, she's just lost my, you know, my dad. She and my dad were married for over 50 years. And she was absolutely devastated and heartbroken. And to be honest, I was also really sad. I was grieving my father, also exhausted too. At dinner at her house later on Friday, Kara chooses her words very carefully. She came down to our house to visit us. And we had a cousin over and she was kind of recounting the story and because I was hearing it again, I was totally convinced at that point that it was a scam, but I didn't want to embarrass my mom in front of like the broader family. I kicked myself because at the time I'm like, you know, my partner, he was like, this sounds like a scam. This doesn't sound legit. And I even like defended my mom at that point because I didn't want her to feel embarrassed. And later that night, my partner and I, he and I were talking about it and I was looking at things on the internet and I was like, I just don't feel right about it. But the next morning, they have another chance to talk. I woke my partner up. I was like, we've got to talk to my mom because she'd spent the night at our house. And I said, this is a scam. This was a Sunday morning. My mom got up and we sat in the living room with her. And I just looked at her and I just said, this is a scam. Like, this is not real. We've looked into it more. And she started to cry. I'll say that it was probably one of the worst days of my life when I had to tell her this. It was another horrible moment and a month of horrible moments. 
Something else to add to the grief. Janet remembers it this way. And the next morning, I was laying on the bed going, none of this is right. It makes no sense. Something wrong has happened. And I got up, and <laughs> they're already up waiting for me. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I think something bad happened. And they said, yeah. While they talk and cry, Janet begins to understand what has happened. There were plenty of times when I read in the ARP newsletter this had happened, and I thought, wow. I wondered, maybe these people should be more aware of stuff. And I'll tell you, when they get you less than seven days after your husband dies, you are the most vulnerable person on the face of the earth. And I was willing to do it. So I gave them roughly $9,000 plus. The criminals knew exactly when to call Janet, knew exactly when she'd be most vulnerable. So I was physically and emotionally exhausted when they called. It got me at my weakest moment. If they would have called me a week later, I would have hung up on them. But this story isn't over. Once Janet and Kara accept the reality of the situation, well, then they get to work. There was a point maybe about an hour into it where she said, are you sure this isn't real? And I said, yeah, this isn't real. This is a scam. I think at that point she accepted it pretty quickly and then uh, just said, okay, like, let's do what we need to do. First task, make sure the criminals can't get any more money out of Janet's accounts. We called her bank immediately and got put through to basically freeze her accounts. And then we called her financial advisor and alerted him so that he could also put freezes on the accounts. And then we also just like sat down with her and talked through like the, you know, because at that point then, once we froze everything, you know, she couldn't use her ATM card. She couldn't use her credit cards anymore because they had been frozen. Next, Kara and Janet go to work to see if they can get any of the money back from the criminals. They aren't optimistic, but because they had this conversation so quickly after the scam, there is hope. More than hope. Yes, we will be able to recover about half of the money. Some of the cards had not been activated yet by the scammers. And so... The company that issues the cards was able to put a stop on the cards so that they could not be redeemed for payment. And so I've been working with the card company um, to get a refund issued for my mom so she'll get about half of the money back thanks to the quick work. Janet thinks the love and understanding of Kara and her partner were critical in helping this story have somewhat of a happy ending. They gave her strength to keep fighting. Well, I was relieved that she and my son-in-law, one, they're very caring and that they were going to back me on pursuing this. Because I remember I was crying and I said, I feel so stupid. And they said, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then when I was calling the bank and canceling everything and got the fraud division at Bank of America and said, I really feel so dumb and so vulnerable. And they said, you know, this happens more than you would like to hear about. And when I went to the credit union on Monday to change the account around, they were also very nice and said, unfortunately, this happened and it's happening more. Whatever the scam might be, we're going to turn off your utilities, your grandsons in Mexico, whatever it is, they've got a scam and they're very slick. But my goodness, without Kara and Mike, that's the reason I went forward with talking with AARP is that if this happened to me and I knew how stupid I felt, It's happened to other people. It might not be the same scam, but I think people are too embarrassed to come forward and say, oh, gosh, uh, this happened. And 
people, I think, get taken for a lot more money than I was taken for. Janet's losses could have been much, much greater if she'd kept talking to the criminals. Who knows what they would have asked for next? That's why she felt so strongly about talking to me, talking to the Perfect Scam listeners about this crime. I would like to share that. Be very leery of anyone approaching you within the first two weeks. Mine was the first week after my husband died within the first two or three weeks because you're at your most vulnerable and weakened state. You've been physically and mentally exhausted and you just can't think straight. You just want to believe that this is true and that will help make everything easier. You need to step back and look at it and talk to somebody trusted. Even if it's go to your bank and say, this has happened to me or your doctor. I told my doctor, he said, I had somebody come in a couple years ago and they gave them $50,000 because they believed them. And I think you just have to look at the whole picture and probably trust your gut. Probably if this had been a week later, I would have said, this is crazy. And that would have been it. But I was too vulnerable. And don't be embarrassed. Report it. Talk about it. Report it. Talk about it. Yes, yes. It's so important that people talk about these crimes when they happen. The criminals are professionals. Only when consumers talk about these crimes can people fight back against these crime gangs. These people knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly how to prey on her emotions and to get her at a point where she was so vulnerable. And they exploited that. I kept trying to reassure her that she wasn't stupid. She wasn't naive. Like, these people preyed on her. And they're monsters, you know. And there's another benefit to Janet for stepping forward, Kara says. I think in a lot of ways, by reaching out to local authorities, she felt like this happened to me, but I don't want it to happen to somebody else. It gave her a chance to be an advocate, not just for herself, but for others who could fall victim to the same kind of scam. And so as awful as this whole situation has been, it really has helped her get back some of that sense of control and wanting to help other people. Kara has one critical piece of advice to offer anyone trying to steer a family member through a period of intense grief. I think especially for my parents' generation, they did not grow up with cell phones. If somebody called your house, you answered the phone. And the idea of letting your cell phone just go to voicemail is something that they're not accustomed to. And so just, you know, encouraging your parents to, if they have a cell phone, if somebody's calling them or texting them and you don't know that phone number, don't respond to it. Don't pick up the phone. Just let it go to voicemail or just ignore that text or delete it. If they receive an email that seems odd, delete it. Don't respond. Don't click on anything. But most critical, understand how grief makes people vulnerable. And know that criminals go hunting for people who are suffering from a loss. To the adult children of, of these parents, my advice would be to, one, be aware that your parents and even you are going to be a target. They're going to specifically target your parents, especially because they're grieving. They are just not in a good place. And they're very, very easy and very vulnerable to take advantage of right at that moment. And so warning, you know, those adult children be on the lookout. Anthony Pratt-Canis is a world-renowned crime expert and author of the book Weapons of Fraud, a source book for fraud fighters. He has a whole taxonomy of fraud types, like the projection tactic, the one-in-five prize tactic, and altercasting. 
But one thing he stresses in every situation is to pay attention to quick, unexpected emotion changes. That might be the best trick of all that scammers have. Pay attention to your emotions, also any kind of quick changing in your thinking and how you're thinking, because that's one of the best clues that you're being targeted by unwanted persuasion, the kind of thing a scammer will do in a fraud situation. So what that scammer is trying to do is to manipulate you. And one way to do that is to manipulate your emotions. All of a sudden, for instance, in the case of Janet here, she's feeling deep emotions. She lost her husband. And the scammer can come in with a little bit of bright news. Hey, you're getting all this money. Now those emotions are quickly changing. Her thoughts are changing. No longer is it about uh, her husband and the death, but gee, what do I have to do? to get the insurance money going to a casino and so forth. So paying attention to those emotions, changing of thoughts is your number one clue that you're being targeted. And whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, the person calling you on the phone, that letter that you get in the mail, if all of a sudden you're feeling emotions, panic, I got to get in on that situation. I'm feeling afraid, all of a sudden angry, and I wasn't. Take a step back and ask why. Janet thinks her criminals got all the personal information they had on her family through an obituary in the local paper. Anthony says it's obvious they profiled Janet. The fraud criminal in this case profiled her and found out, oh, she lost a, a death. So I'm going to pitch her on a phantom of getting this insurance money. They may profile you when they listen to in conversation with you, when they're talking to you. They're looking for things that that are your hot buttons. So if you say, I'm, I'm worried about the gray wolves, well, they'll come up with a plan, a charity fraud, to help the gray wolves. If you're financially uh, having difficulty, come up with financial schemes. Then the next thing on a phantom is to create a story that sells that phantom to you. Why are you getting it? Uh, you've won a, a lottery prize, your name came up. In this case, the phantom sold because of the death, the routineness of, of a bureaucracy trying to do its job to get this insurance money, supposedly. But Kara played an important role, a critical role, in making sure Janet didn't end up much worse off. Yes, Janet's daughter showed the, some of the best tools in action. So what happens when you're caught up in a scam, as uh, Janet was, your emotions are being played on, your thoughts are being manipulated, and it's hard to think. It's hard to see what's going on. You're constantly responding to what the fraud criminal has to say. On the other hand, Janet's daughter was outside of that social situation. And so she could come in and see, well, it makes no sense to go to a casino. What's up with that? But mainly, it was kindness that stopped the fraud and gave Janet a chance to get some of her money back. The other thing that Janet's daughter did that was really important is she quietly, subtly brought the issue up that this might be a fraud. In those situations, when you see somebody in a fraud situation, the natural tendency is to lecture that person. Oh, don't fall free for that. You're stupid. That's exactly the wrong thing to do. Because when you're in that situation, admitting that there's a fraud happening and you're being taken plays a lot on your self-esteem. How can I be that stupid? 
And by calling it personal sin, it's just reminding them that they did something bad. So instead of lecturing them, raise subtle issues like, you know, for instance, this case, I wonder why they sent you to a casino. That's weird. To help them start seeing the fraud. Also help build up their self-esteem. Make sure that they feel comfortable. Make sure that the, the special aspects of their lives are made clear so they have the self-esteem to face the fact that they've been caught up in this fraud. I talked to the daughter, and she told me just the most beautiful story about how they had had dinner with the mom on a Friday night, and mom explained what was going on, and the daughter and her uh, husband you know, looked at each other and said, something's obviously wrong, but they didn't say anything because they were in a large group setting, and so they let it go until the next morning, which I thought was just so thoughtful and loving. Exactly. That's exactly the right approach to take in that situation. Exactly the right approach. We really could learn a lot from Kara and her kindness. And I think it's also like a delicate balance to not overstep. You know, I know that when I went to the bank with my mom, like that morning after, and we were waiting outside to go in and the security guard asked us, do you have an appointment or not? And, you know, my mom said she did not, but she, and I just sort of jumped in to explain like what was going on. And then my mom turned to me and said, do you think I can't do this? And I said, no. And so I think it's like you have to find that right balance of being there to support your parents and also like not patronizing them. You know, and I think you just have to kind of find whatever that that balance is. You know, they're still adults. You want them to feel, I think, empowered and to feel like they can advocate. But also, I think just being um, a trusted source of support for them. You are so thoughtful about this. I admire that. Thank you. What advice would you give to uh, someone who's just gone through a loss? Good enough is okay. Um, and to take it a day at a time. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today. If you or someone you know has been a victim of a fraud or scam, call AARP's free Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can help you know what to do next and how to avoid scams in the future. Thank you to our team of scam busters, executive producer Julie Getz, producer Brooke Ellis, associate producer and researcher Megan DeMagnus, our audio engineer Julio Gonzalez, and of course, fraud expert Frank Abagnale. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, I'm Bob Sullivan.